Hey everyone, thanks for listening to our latest sermon. We don't take for granted that you take time to listen, and we do our best to bring you valuable content each week. If you find this sermon particularly helpful, we would really appreciate it if you would do us a favor. If you listen on a podcast host, it would be awesome if you would take some time and leave us a rating or review. This helps our sermons be heard by more people. It really does. It is an easy thing to do, and honestly, it could result in somebody's life being changed. Also, if your life is changed as you listen to this sermon, even just a little, we would love to know about it. You can let us know by emailing us at respond at creekside.me. One more thing, Easter is coming up fast, and we would love to have you join us as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We have a bunch of great things going on surrounding our celebration of Easter, and you can learn about all of them by visiting creeksidebiblechurch.org slash Easter. We are talking about the parables, and a parable, just to catch you up if you weren't here last week, is a, a short story similar to an anecdote that uh, in the New Testament only Jesus tells, and he tells these stories in order to make a point, usually one big point, and uh, we're looking at those, and hopefully we'll see by the end that Jesus is a genius, and today he's going to answer a question that that I think if you're a Christian, you, you probably have. And uh, if you've ever tried to answer the question before, then you've probably done it in some kind of philosophical, theological sense, but not like in a way that seemed to matter to uh, the question. And the question is, is a pretty simple one. Uh, two maybe questions, but they're all wrapped up in the same answer. Like, why do some people so readily accept the story of Jesus and some so readily reject the story of Jesus? And along with that, uh, and perhaps the one that I want to focus on more this morning, the one that, uh, that is closer to my heart, and, and it's this. Why do some people that you know, that I know, reject Jesus after seemingly loving him and following him for a while and uh, I have people in my life even people that I have led to Jesus I've told them about Jesus they've come to Jesus and, and now they don't live for Jesus at all and it's sad and it begs the question why why? And people that I've tried to talk to about Jesus through the years and worked hard to, to get them to understand the gospel, some people that it seems like, you know, were really close or it seemed like they might and accept Jesus and love Jesus, they don't. And then sometimes people come to Jesus and you're like, what just happened? I, not you of all people. Like, that's craziness right there. How did you accept Jesus? You didn't seem anything like the right kind of person. And, uh, and these are hard questions. And I was trying to think of stories. And, and honestly, I'm not going to tell any 
because all of the stories that I have that surround this issue are are deeply personal, right? And I, I can't just throw people out there and say like, this is what happened to this person. Because if you have a person in mind, a person that you're like, they they were in a small group with me or I went to church with them forever or they were part of my family and, and they were just so solid in their faith and now they just completely reject Christianity, what happened? I mean, it's hard. Like, you wouldn't want to stand on a stage and be like, well, my cousin Bob, you know? I mean, and so these stories are deeply personal. And, and if you're a Christian, they, they're sad stories. It's like, what happened? I was even talking to a, a person that I know um, just this week or a week and a half ago, and we weren't talking about this sermon at all. But he was talking about his family, and he's like a, a fourth-generation Nazarene, like like his great-great-great-grandpa, Nazarene is the denomination, his great-great-great-grandpa was a Nazarene pastor and, and like he was like the second generation of Nazarenes and, and his wife actually, uh, his, his, her great-great-great-great-grandpa was a Nazarene pastor and that's like a first-generation Nazarene pastor, like it goes back forever since the beginning of that denomination and and he was talking about his kind of direct, um, direct generation and, and like a handful of them have completely rejected Jesus altogether and some of them kind of like the idea of Jesus but they don't really live for Jesus. And, and I thought it was weird because usually when you hear that story it's like well there was abuse in their family and people were mean that were Christians but, but none of that as far as he told me and it's like what happened and Jesus tells a parable to answer that question. And usually when this question is raised, it becomes this debate about whether these people were really Christians or not really Christians, whether they lost their salvation or they never had it at all. And uh, Jesus doesn't seem to care about that. And frankly, I don't care about that either. Um, I think Jesus would say what, what I say which is always a good thing, right? And that's this, if a person's not a Christian, they're not a Christian. Uh, what happened to get them to that point doesn't really matter. If a person is not a Christian, if a person is not a Christ follower, then they're not Christians. And, and Jesus answers the question, why somebody could look like they love Jesus, proclaim faith in Jesus, be sold out for Jesus, and, and then reject him? after a period of time. And this parable comes to us in Luke chapter eight and we're gonna look at verses one through 15 because it's really interesting what's surrounding this parable. Just a couple of things that I thought we would be amiss not to, to kind of just at least briefly look at. And one is, is why Jesus speaks in parables. And so that's, that's important, right, when we're talking about his parables. So that's one of them. And then the, these first four verses, they remind us of something else. Let me read them to you. After this, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town to town, he told this parable. 
So a couple of things that I just thought were so important, and one of them I say a lot, but I think it just needs repeating a lot considering our current culture, and that is this. Jesus moved women forward more than any other person in the history of the world. And this, these four verses might be evidence of that more than, than any other verses. I mean, here's this historian, Luke, talking about the ministry of Jesus. And he says, hey, the 12 were with him, the 12 disciples, Jesus' closest followers, the guys that he spent all of his time with, that he invested in the most, they were there. But also in this traveling group were these women. And he lists a couple of them by name, Mary and, and Joanna and Susanna. He lists them by name. And he says what these women were doing. They were traveling around in order that they might support the ministry financially, it seems. Now, even in modern Christian circles, we, we think of men being the financial supporters and men are the one who pay the bills and things like that. But you go all the way back 2,000 years in Jesus' ministry, you have the 12 going around doing ministry and here are these women who are financially supporting the ministry of Jesus, making it possible for him not to have to work to collect a paycheck so that he could speak and teach and heal and do all of these things that, that we know Jesus for. And the crazy thing is that Luke, this historian, is writing this letter to a Roman man named Theophilus who would have thought very little of women, and he's writing within the context of the Jewish culture at his time, friends with a bunch of Jewish people, who would have not had much respect for women, at least compared to men. And he just stops in the middle of his story and says, let me, let me tell you who was there financially supporting this ministry. It was these women. And here's three of them specifically. And so, just be, I say this a lot, but it's so important. If, if people come up to you and, and, or you hear people say like, you know, Christians are sexist and they don't value women as much as men, I just want you to at least know in your head, you may not need to blurt this out at any point, but just know in your head that Jesus moved women forward more than anybody else. This would have been unthought of, unheard of, to have women financially supporting the ministry, let alone to record it in the gospel story, would have just been absolutely unheard of. And here comes Jesus, and he values women, and he cares about women, and he puts women into ministry, and it's incredible. Now, the other part of this that's just it just stuck out as interesting. Maybe it won't be interesting to you, but, but a lot of people want to discredit the Bible as just kind of some spiritual book that Christians read, but without any facts. I, I've heard somebody say within the last week, there's no evidence for the existence of God specifically, but to deny the existence of God is in some ways, and, and evidence for it is to, in some ways, deny the existence of the resurrection of Jesus, something that we'll celebrate here in a few weeks, and, and is to deny the validity of the Bible, because the Bible is a book where, where people wrote and said, hey, I'm an eyewitness testimony to God walking around on earth and then God getting out of 
a grave. And so this flippant attitude of there's no evidence is pervasive in society. And in the Bible is Luke, who's known even by non-Christians as a brilliant historian. And he lists these three women, and among them is this lady named Joanna, who was the wife of Cusa, it's not Chusa, it's Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Herod being like the king in that land. And it's so fascinating to me of a detail for Luke to include because, because it seems that Luke might be saying, hey, I have a connection that had some pretty good inside information. There are these pictures in Luke's gospel about what takes place in Herod's household. And one might say, how could Luke have known that? He's just making stuff up. There's no way. And Luke says, oh, by the way, there was this follower of Jesus, a really close follower, somebody who traveled around with Jesus, and her husband was in charge of Herod's household. This is a pretty high-level individual. And I think it's really important that we notice that this morning because Luke, more than any of the other gospel writers, is not just saying, here's what I saw. He is saying, here are what the witnesses told me. One of these women might have very well been Joanna who had high-level access I mean, like the highest level access in the land, being married to the household keeper of Herod. And so when people say, just Christians are sexist, Christians don't like women, you can know, eh, not true. We follow a savior who valued women more than anybody. I mean, he died for women, in fact. And when people say, well, there's no evidence of this Christian story that you promote. Go, eh. Luke wrote a gospel based on eyewitness testimony, and he's known to be a great historian. Not only that, but he had high level access in early Christianity in order to be able to bring us this story. And so there's pretty good evidence of this Jesus thing. And here's the story, the parable that Jesus tells. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on the good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them here. Now, this is a pretty famous parable, and uh, even if you just kind of have a cursory understanding of what's in the Bible, what Christians talk about, you may have heard or, or at least kind of uh, had somebody allude to this parable. But what's nice about this parable is that it is a parable that actually has an explanation. It's one of the few parables that has a recorded explanation for us in the Bible. And so we're just going to leave it out there. The, the story is simple one. There's a farmer. He's sowing seed. And all of the seed is falling on different types of 
ground. They're falling on rocky places. They're falling on uh, places where there's no moisture. They're falling on good soil. They're falling on soil where there are weeds. And so we're going to pause there just with that in our heads. And we're going to look at verses 9 and 10. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. So there's like about 40 parables for us recorded in the New Testament, again, all by Jesus. And the question becomes, why do people why did Jesus speak in parables? Why, why did he do this? Why didn't he just talk in a plain and simple way? And uh, one of the things that you often hear is, is simply, and I think this is part of it, simply that Jesus was teaching in a way that people could understand. And I, I do believe, even though some don't, that that is part of why Jesus spoke in parables. But that's not how he answers the question here. His disciples say, what's the parable mean? And Jesus says, well, pause. Let me tell you why I speak in parables. Now, what's interesting, if you look at the life of Jesus, is that he didn't always speak in parables. If you were to go back early in his ministry, he he didn't speak in parables at all, actually. The Sermon on the Mount, which is the longest recording of teaching that we have of Jesus in the Bible, three whole chapters of Jesus' teaching, he doesn't tell a parable. He uses examples and analogies and similes, but he doesn't tell a parable in that long teaching portion. And in fact, we don't, for much of Jesus' ministry, have any recording of parables coming from the mouth of Jesus. But all of a sudden, in the midst of Jesus' ministry, he goes from no recorded parables to only, for a period, teaching in parables. He goes from none to only teaching in parables you might ask well why and it's very interesting because it seems to happen on a single day in the life of Jesus it's kind of a crazy day and I'm not going to go into all the craziness of the day but when you read the gospel story I mean this is a long day like he's he's teaching and then he's healing people and he heals somebody on the Sabbath and people are mad at him and he gets into an argument with them and it's it's all nuts but this day culminates with the Pharisees declaring that Jesus must be doing his miraculous work by the power of hell. They go, well, this guy, because he doesn't agree with what we have taught because he doesn't follow our rules. And by the way, they had made all of these rules about healing on the Sabbath, about doing anything on the Sabbath. And the Bible had only said, the Old Testament only said, don't work on the Sabbath. It was pretty simple, pretty straightforward. And they just added rule upon rule upon rule upon rule upon this. And Jesus didn't follow their rule upon rule upon rule upon rule. And so when he heals on the Sabbath, they're like, well, we are righteous, We are the holy ones. We are the religious leaders. And if this guy doesn't obey what we have said he must obey, and yet he still has the power to heal, then this power must come from Satan. It's 
come from Satan. And immediately, from that point on, we see Jesus begin to speak in parables. And what we see is that while parables may have helped Jesus' true disciples understand better what Jesus was talking about, even more so, the parables were meant to be a dividing line that allowed for disciples to understand and have further instruction about what the kingdom was all about. And for those who were rejecting Jesus, who were saying, you do your work by the power of hell, to not have an understanding of what Jesus was saying. An old author, Alfred Edersheim, said this, in other words, the parables are meant to divide the crowd. While this may seem as if Jesus denied some people access, the difference, he means, is not in the message, but in the response. Those committed to the kingdom of God would seek and find further understanding, but those uncommitted, perhaps listening only because of the initial excitement, would reject the teaching as unintelligible. And that's kind of what happens. He teaches to the crowds, and his disciples get away with them and say, hey, what do you mean? What do you mean? I want to understand that. I want to get that. And other people go, what's this guy talking about up there? Just up there telling stories about seeds. We want some real teaching. And so Jesus, at some point in his ministry, it seems, goes, if they're going to reject my plain teaching, then I'm going to teach in a way that those who reject me are just not going to understand anymore. Now that does not suggest that Jesus was not giving them the opportunity to become his followers and to stop their rejection of him. In fact, they have all the opportunity to accept Jesus and then begin to inquire more deeply about what these parables mean. But most don't. In 2 Timothy 3, 7, we read this about people they're always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth all people have the right or had the right to become followers of jesus and when they do the truths of the kingdom become more and more known to them but we know that many people will reject jesus jesus says this famous thing do not cast your pearls before swine Don't throw pearls where pigs can trample upon them. And we know, we know this, that there are people when they are taught the things of Jesus, they just trample upon it. They make fun of it. They reject it without even considering it. And for Jesus, the parables became a way to teach that would show who was truly his followers and who truly were rejecting him. But there's this other part of it that's so clear and it's, it's wrapped up in what I've already said and that's the teaching of scripture is meant to be understood spiritually, not just intellectually. These parables, all of them, can be intellectually understood by anybody. The question becomes, will we understand these parables in a spiritual sense? In 1 Corinthians 2, 13 and 14, it says, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The Spirit with, 
the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Most of the Bible can be understood intellectually by any person. In fact, some of the greatest scholars of the Bible are people who reject the truths of the Bible. But they will never, ever, ever understand the Bible in the spiritual way that we do. And the parables were one of the ways that Jesus taught that allowed people to understand intellectually, still allowed for people to come to Jesus. It even says that Jesus, in our own story here, was going town to town proclaiming the gospel. He's not telling a parable so that people cannot come to him. He's telling a parable so that those who refuse to come to him will not understand, but those who do come to him will dive deeper into understanding spiritually the things that he wants them to understand spiritually. Bible.org says to those with a genuine hunger for God, the parable is both an effective and memorable vehicle for the conveyance of divine truths. When I said earlier that parables were meant to be taught in a way that, that can be remembered, that is true for those who have chosen to follow Jesus. John MacArthur said, the more you understand the fullness and richness of salvation, the more you will understand the parables. And I think he's completely right. To those of us that are followers of Jesus, and those of us who want to follow Jesus more fully, the parable is the perfect vehicle because it causes us to A, remember, B, to understand, and C, to want to understand more fully. But for the non-Christian, it's like, what's Jesus talking about seeds for? That's weird. Jesus talking about, from the parable last week, houses and building them. Why doesn't he just tell us what he really means? Done with that. So Jesus shows us why he speaks in parables. And it's, I believe, so that we who are Christians can understand the teachings of the kingdom more deeply and we can remember the teachings. Admit, the teachings in the Bible that you remember most are the parables. When I read the parable of the sower or the soil, depending on uh, what people call it, when I read that, if you've been in church and you've grown up in church, you're like, I know this one, I've heard this before. When I talked about the house being built on the foundation last week, if you've been around church, you're like, I know this one. But when I teach from other places in the New Testament, like a teaching of the Apostle Paul, you're like, yeah, that kind of sounds familiar. I think I've heard that before. Because the parables go deeply into our souls if we love and are trying to serve Jesus. But for those who aren't, they just are forgettable teachings that don't make enough sense. And so with that in mind, Jesus goes into this explanation of this parable. And it's interesting because Jesus, it seems, has like a twofold meaning in this parable. He answers the questions that I began with. Why do some people reject Jesus? And why do some people leave Jesus? But he also illustrates what he's just told us about why he tells parables. Because they're going to fall 
on different people in different ways. And here is what he says. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who received the word with joy when they heard it, when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but at the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Let me tell you something up front. Uh, That's this. The more you study this parable, the less you'll understand it. And I tell you that from personal experience studying for this sermon. It was like the more I read about it, the more people tried to explain with big words and deep theological truths, the more I was like, huh? Like, what? what? This passage, admit it, like when you first read it, you go, I get it. And the more Greek words you look at and the more you try to connect it to other places in the Bible, the less awesome it becomes. Because Jesus tells this amazing parable, this deep parable, and then he explains it in a very simple yet profound way. And we all can go, yeah. And so instead of trying to explain it better than Jesus, which trust me, people have done, I just want to stop and go, look at what Jesus has said to us. It's profound. And it answers these questions that I think we have. Why do some people reject Jesus so quickly? And why do others seem to leave Jesus over time? Now, the question before we dive into that, that's oftentimes asked here in this parable with this passage in mind is what soil are you? What soil are you? And that is a great question, a good question, a great preaching question. But the better question is this, as you look at your spiritual walk up to this moment, what soil are you? What soil have you been? How are you, how have you responded to Jesus? You see, there's this tendency with this passage, and, and, and I'm as guilty as anybody with this, to try to examine where people are at this moment, but we must take a long-term, I believe, look at our lives and even the lives of others if we are truly going to understand this parable, because as we know, farming does not happen overnight, right? I mean, we all get that. We're not farmers like these people would have been, but you can't see the fruit of a person's life for years, and you cannot see whether or not a crop is going to be a good one until the seasons have gone by. And that's exactly what we see in this passage. And where I am so guilty is becoming a cynic. I am, this is, I, I, I even hate saying this, I hate admitting this, but I'm going to. I've been guilty of seeing a person become a Christian and going, well, they're probably just caught up in the moment. 
and they'll probably reject this later. And that is not what Jesus is getting at here. The question is not what soil do you think another person is. The question is not even what soil are you today. Like, are you here with just great, ready to intake what I'm going to say as I preach God's word and, and, and this is going to be the moment. This is like, hey, what soil is your life? And it's an important question to ask. Now, the seed is the word of God, probably primarily the gospel, but we could probably apply this to every biblical teaching. When we show up here on a Sunday and I preach from the word of God, I think it's important to apply this, like, are we going to respond to this? Or are we not going to respond to this and why? But primarily, this is the gospel. And here is this farmer sowing his seed. And Jesus says that some of this seed lands upon the path. And this path represents people who will just reject the gospel immediately and quickly without any idea or thought that they might accept it. Let me be clear here. There are people like this. We all might know some of them. Matt has told this before, said this before, and I've quoted him on this. He will talk to people with questions about Christianity and, and, and they'll say, well, I got a problem because it doesn't align with science or whatever. And, and he'll say, if I can answer all those questions, will you become a Christian? And they say, no. This is the rocky path. I will not accept the gospel. I will not think about accepting the gospel. I have no interest in the gospel. I, I'm not coming to the gospel. It's, I'm not going to accept Jesus. It's just not going to happen. And you may know some people like this, and I'll return to this in a second and say, don't think that you know because you might be wrong. But, but let's just, let me just pause for a second and say uh, to any person who is, is listening, uh, either online or in front of me, that's not a Christian, I want you to know what Jesus says here is that Satan is a part of your rejection of the gospel. You might think that you are being unique or that you're smarter than other people or that you won't accept Jesus because of, of all these reasons. And I'm not judging you in that. But I want you to understand what Jesus says. And that is that you are not being unique or smarter than others. And, and it's not even just that you have good excuses. Satan is a part of your unbelief. Part of the reason that you are not accepting Jesus as your savior is because Satan is at work in your life. And what I want you to understand personally is that your rejection is not a good thing. My life has been enriched, it's better, it's stable, all because of the presence of Jesus in my life. And for you to reject it without even considering it is not unique, it's satanic. My hope is from this parable that, that somebody would just put down the hardness of heart and say, wait a minute. Why do I reject 
the story of Jesus without even considering it. If it seems so good, I mean, let me just quickly tell the story. And the story that I believe that has changed my life and has changed so many people's lives that are sitting in front of me is that God came from heaven to earth because he saw that we were sinners and we had no way to be forgiven for those sins. He saw that we were guilty. And he came down and he lived a perfect life and he died on a cross for us. He suffered the most extreme, intense death and hurt and pain and struggle that the world has ever known so that we could be forgiven. And then he rose again three days later. And he looks down at all of us and says, if you just will believe in me, then you can have forgiveness for your sins and you can go to heaven someday. And there are millions of people around the world that have said, I will believe that, I do believe that, and I will give Jesus my life. And our lives have been changed, changed. There's been, that feeling of guilt has been taken from us. We find hope for the afterlife. We become better people than we used to be. And it's so weird to me that you would say, I'm not even going to take a look at that. I'm just going to reject it because some Christian was mean to me once or because, this is made up, Christians hate certain people or Christians can't align with science or there's no proof. The only reason you would reject that story so out of hand is because of Satan. I'm not saying every person will come to a belief in the things that I believe, but I am saying that to reject it without even thinking about it is shenanigans. It's crazy when it's such an incredible story. So please, 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 please don't think you're unique and explore the gospel, the story of Jesus. At least take a look at it. But this, the second soil, the rocky ground, those who seem like they just accept the gospel with the excitement and passion and then turn away from it because of temptation. It just seems all too common. All too common. Temptation can be understood two ways in the New Testament, really interesting to me. And, and that's one, temptation and how we think of it, like, like we want to do bad things. At least that's how we would say it as Christians. We want to do sinful things, things that are against the will of God. But temptation can also just be life's trials, the hurts and the pains and the struggles and the difficulties that everybody will face. We'll all face those things. And we know, maybe we've never identified it, but we all know that certain people turn away from Jesus because either A, life gets hard, or B, they want to give in to sin. There's this book out there um, and this will go into the thorns too but there's this book out there uh, that, that tries to disprove Christianity and it's not a very well written book there's there's well written books that try to disprove Christianity but this one's not particularly and what's what makes it even worse is the guy right from the beginning 
says, I didn't reject Christianity. He used to be a Christian. He, he would have called himself a Christian before. He said, I didn't reject Christianity because of any l- lack of evidence, because I discovered uh, you know, better truths or anything like that. He says, I rejected Christianity because I, I committed adultery, uh, got into an affair, and I didn't like how my church members treated me. Like, well, first of all, you shouldn't have started with that because now people are not going to take seriously your book. But second of all, what an illustration of how temptation can cause a person to reject Jesus. And the thorns, so similar, but the thorns of life, the worries and the riches of life. I know people who just... Leave Jesus because life becomes hard because they want certain things because they sacrifice the immediate, excuse me, the eternal on the altar of the immediate. And I know a lot of people, far too many people who would now tell you, I'm not sure I believe that Jesus thing. But if you were to go back in their lives, you could look at moments where they, they just wanted to do something that seemed pleasurable and it didn't align with their relationship with God. And it's so much easier to say, I reject the truth of that than to say, well, I actually believe that Jesus exists and that Jesus died for my sins and that Jesus loves me. But instead of saying, well, I believe it all and I'm not gonna listen to him anyway. I'm gonna say, well, I'm not sure about that. I mean, because you gotta kind of be an idiot to go, I totally believe Jesus died for my sins. He loves me unconditionally. He's gonna get me into heaven, but I'm not gonna do what he says anyway. And so what you'll find, and you will find this if you haven't found this already, people, people who reject doing God's will will over time say they no longer believe in God. Rarely does it go the other way, where people go, I don't really believe in that anymore, so I'll do what I want. Almost always, people want to do something, and so then they turn around and reject the truths of Jesus. And then this this good soil, hear the word of God, become Christians. Now here's the thing. First of all, examine what soil you are, what soil you have been. Try to make your life the good one, right? But even more, what what I want you to do is go, okay, I understand why people will reject Jesus. And, And if you have rejected Jesus, then go, here's, at least admit why you did it. I mean, at least admit it. Uh, Don't say like, well, that Christian was mean to me. Like, at least admit it. But for those of us who are Christians, it's so imperative that we do not try to determine the soil of another person. That we do not try to look around and go, that looks like good soil. Let me drop some seeds there because that's not what the parable says. The parable says that the farmer's scattering seed and it's going everywhere. And sometimes it falls in the right place. So two stories to illustrate this one, this good soil, because the good soil you can tell personal stories about, and 
One is, is my buddy Jake. And uh, Jake is a guy I played high school basketball with when we were teammates. We weren't really friends, but he was a good teammate and uh, a guy that I liked playing basketball with. But we ran in different crowds. And, um, and, and Jake, I mean, uh, and, and he would tell you this, and uh, he, he was a guy that, that he got into the rap scene. Uh, he was drinking a lot. He, he wasn't like even thinking about Jesus at all. Um, post high school it wasn't even in his thinking at all if you would have asked me honestly list some people that you played sports with through the years that you went to high school with that will never come to Jesus Jake would have been high on my list just seemed like he was living a different life he had some Christian influences in his life his brother and his dad are are, are Christians but but he would have been on my list of people probably not and one day out of the blue, Jake on Facebook or through text or something says, hey, can we get coffee? I'd like to talk about Jesus. What? Okay, so I sit down with Jake and we talked about some things. I'm not even sure what and, and uh, kind of went on my merry way and he said it again. Hey, let's do this again. Let's talk about Jesus. So we talk about Jesus and, and then one day he calls me up and, and we asked me to have coffee with him. We have coffee and he's a Christian. And I'm like, what happened? I thought you were on the fence about this whole thing. And he's like, it was my brother's bachelor party. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> what did you say to me? He said, yeah, we, we had his bachelor party and I went to church with him the next day and the guy said, you should become a Christian. And I was like, yeah, I should. Became a Christian. And Jake's a Christian and he's living for Jesus. And uh and that leads me to the second person in some ways because another high school teammate, um, I, I just had the opportunity to sit down with him and, and interview him and uh, his name's Grayson and uh, he, Grayson's famous now actually. He's the professor from a, a thing called And One Basketball, now Ball Up. Uh, he's, he's an internationally famous street ball basketball player and uh, I had this idea to do this podcast, and, and this is forthcoming podcast, and I'm going to interview people and, and get their Christian testimonies because I want people's stories to be shared, and maybe I'll interview you someday and get your story to, of how you came to Jesus, but uh, I thought, I know a famous person. That's a great way to kick off a podcast, and so I, I, uh, I messaged Grayson and said, hey, would you sit down with me and would you record your story? Because I've heard through the grapevine that it's pretty cool how you came to Jesus. And so I sat down with Grayson about a month ago now and, um, and I interviewed him. And the story that I had heard was not the story at all. Uh, Grayson started doing the basketball thing almost immediately out of high school. He started uh, doing the street ball stuff and it was a really rough crowd. It's a really rough crowd. And uh, he was hanging out with guys that were 28, 29 years old. He was an 18-year-old kid, uh, started drinking, started partying with them. And his best friend on the tour one day, uh, after one of those parties, didn't wake up. He died. Uh, and so Grayson uh, went to his funeral. And at the funeral, uh, the guy talking, who if you know basketball at all, was uh, Mark Jackson, um, who used to coach the Golden State Warriors. And Mark Jackson gets up there and says, hey, this guy that died, he gave his life to Jesus a year ago. It was actually Mark Jackson's brother. He gave his life to Jesus a year ago. If you want to become a Christian, if you want to be where he is someday, then you need to become a Christian too. And uh, Grayson said, 
sounded good to me. I'll walk down the altar for the altar call, or walk down to the altar for the altar call. Gave my life to Jesus. And Grayson, as, as we do this interview, and you'll be able to hear this uh, eventually, he said, he said this thing that just so illustrates this passage of scripture. He said, I don't know how many were sincere. I don't know what happened to the rest of the people that walked up there with me. But I know it changed my life. So much that we can gather from this parable. But one is, we got to scatter our seed. We got to tell people about Jesus. Because we don't know who has good soil and who doesn't. And we can look and we can go, but I led that one and I get in this trap. I, I talked to that one person about Jesus and they rejected it. And I don't want to do that again. And we go, well, I talked to that one person about Jesus and, and they seemed so excited about Jesus and now they don't live for Jesus. Why would I want to do that again? And we could tell, and we could be like, hey, I, I led that one person to Jesus and, and they were Christians and, and we went to church together and then they, they ran off and, and chose something else over Jesus I don't want to do that again but we shouldn't because people like Jake and Grayson need to hear the word of God and Jesus had people rejecting him all the time even even as he explained this parable People were listening to him that were going to reject him. He noticed this. He didn't go away to explain the parable. The disciples say, what is it? He's still amongst the crowd. There were people there who would reject him. But Jesus just kept telling people to repent and come into his kingdom to accept him as Lord and Savior. And so this morning, what I want to say to you from this passage is look. Look at your life and ask what soil you are. Be warned by this parable that life's riches and, and pleasures can choke out the gospel in us. But also, tell everybody who needs to hear about Jesus, about Jesus. Because some of that seed might fall in the right soil. Let me pray. Lord, I ask that you would take this sermon and let it fall on the good soil, Lord. I do pray that, that people would give their lives to you. I ask God for those of us who love you and live for you, that the soil of our life would be good and that God, we would produce fruit, not just for a moment, but for a lifetime, Lord. I, I pray, Jesus, that we who are Christians would share your gospel freely and liberally, God. Liberally, God. Because we don't know where it's going to fall. We cannot identify the soil of people's hearts. God, help us not to be cynical. Let us be hopeful. Jesus, I pray that you would take this sermon and make it fall in the right places. And that you would produce fruit from it, God. You would produce a crop from it. I pray these things in your name, amen.